Thank you for gathering here with us this evening, and we have gathered for a specific reason, <clears throat> to remember our Lord's sacrifice when He died upon the cross, to remember that it was He, the Son of God, who was crucified for our sin. I think it's important for us to not in any way diminish the physical aspects of crucifixion. Please hear me. But sometimes what can happen is that we spend our time with a singular focus on the physical aspects of crucifixion, and truly, uh, it is an unspeakable indignity for the Son of God to be treated in such a shameful way. But church, we err if we place the value or the emphasis exclusively on His physical suffering. For although that was horrendous, in every way, we know that over 10,000 Jews were crucified during the Roman occupation of the land of Israel. So being crucified in and of itself is not all that Jesus did, though it was abominable. What I would suggest to you is that while the physical realities are horrific, the, phys- the spiritual realities are astounding, absolutely astounding. To consider what Jesus did on the cross for us is literally what makes Good Friday good. In the second chapter of Colossians, if you happen to bring your Bible with us tonight, and you should always when you come to church, let the church say amen. In the second chapter of Colossians, the Apostle Paul tells us three things about the death of Jesus. Specifically, three things that died with Christ. And I'm going to take just a few moments, it won't be long tonight, to look at this second chapter of Colossians, starting with verse 13, about three verses that we'll look through. I want to look at it for just a minute before we gather around the table of the Lord to see what was it that died with Christ. Paul says to the Colossians, chapter 2, verse 13, you were dead because of your sins and because your sinful nature was not yet cut away. But then God made you alive with Christ, for He forgave all our sins. He canceled the record of the charges against us and took it away by nailing it to the cross. Somebody ought to say hallelujah. In this way, He disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities, and He shamed them publicly by His victory over them on the cross. Let me point out three things that died with Jesus. Number one, at the cross, your death died with Jesus. The first verse that we read, the 13th verse, says this, you were dead because of your sins. You were dead because of your sins. So what kind of death are we talking about? In the book of Romans, Paul would indicate that there are essentially three kinds of death, and we need to understand what we're talking about to understand what our 13th verse of Colossians 2 is really saying. So what are those three kinds of death? First of all, there's physical death, which is separation from the living. When someone is physically dead, they're no longer interacting with the living. We know that. But secondly, there's spiritual death, which is separation from God. And then the third kind of death is eternal death, which is separation from the living and from God forever. So in this 13th verse of the second chapter of Colossians, Paul is talking about spiritual death, 
separation from God. He says, again, you were dead. Would you say it for me? You were And your sinful nature was not yet cut away. But then God made you alive with Christ, for He forgave all of our sins. On the cross, Jesus destroyed spiritual death for everyone who would believe in Him. Spiritual death is separation from God, and it was destroyed by Christ. He destroyed that separation from God. Are you glad about it tonight? In 2 Timothy, we read this, but it has now been revealed through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who has destroyed death. So where it's proved again, He destroyed death. He destroyed separation from God, and in its place, He brought us spiritual life. No longer separated from God, but alive to God, aware of God, walking with God, knowing with God. He made us spiritually alive. In Colossians, again, in in our 13th um, verse, he says, then God made you alive with Christ, for he forgave all our sins. At the cross, your death, your spiritual death died with Christ. Your separation from God died with Christ. Let the thankful people say amen. Amen. The second thing that died with Jesus is this. At the cross, your debt died with Jesus. Yeah, maybe I should say that again. At the cross, your debt died with Jesus. Again, our Colossians text, he forgave all our sins. How many? I love that word, all. It reminds me of when we sing, my sin, oh, the bliss of this glorious thought. My sin, not in part, but the is nailed to the cross, and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord, oh, my soul. He forgave all our sins. Say it with me. He And how does our text tell us that he did it? By verse 14, he canceled the record of the charges against us, excuse me, and took it away by nailing it to the cross. On the cross, God placed on Christ all of my sins, all of your sins. Paul talks about it like this. He says here in this 14th verse, he refers to it as a record of the charges, is what he actually says, or a record of the debt. Now, the, the Greek word for this word debt here, I did my research, I found out it's only used one time. This particular Greek word is only used one time in the New Testament. It's used right here in this 14th verse of Colossians 2, and the word is sherographon, sherographon. And here's what it literally means. It means a receipt, It means a receipt. He canceled your receipt, a handwritten, more specifically, a handwritten certificate of death, only used once in the New Testament. You can say he canceled the record. He canceled the receipt of your life. For example, you go to a restaurant, and they bring you, after you've eaten, what we call a bill, but essentially it is a receipt. It's a little piece of paper which says, here's what you ordered and what you received. You got chips and queso, and you had some guacamole, who's getting hungry, and you got some burritos, and you got a Coke, and you had a friend with you, and they had some chicken enchiladas and a Dr. Pepper, 
And you get the receipt when you're all finished. You get the bill, and guess what? Somebody has to pay for it because it is a bill. It is a receipt. It is a serographone. And your friend doesn't seem to be very anxious to reach for his or her wallet to pay for the ticket. How many know what I'm talking about? You've been there before. But you have to pay because somebody has to pay the bill. And here's what Paul is saying, that our lives apart from Christ, before we knew Christ, if he hadn't died on the cross, your life was a receipt. It was a bill. It was a cherographone. It was a record of every single thing you ever ordered, a record of every single thing you did, every evil thought, every evil word, every evil action, every violation of of God's law. It has been recorded. It's on the receipt. It's your bill, if you will, for sin, and your receipt goes for miles and miles and miles, and so does mine. How many know that's true? Colossians 2.14 says this, having canceled, having canceled out the certificate of debt consisting of decrees against us, which was hostile to us, Paul says. Your debt isn't just a debt. Your debt is your enemy. It was actually working against you, Paul tells us. It's not just a record. It's something that stands accusing you. It's something that stands condemning you. It's something that would seal your fate for all time and eternity as separated from God. The truth is, you and I were in a hopeless situation because your bill, my bill, your record, your receipt, your chirographone had the power to send you or me to hell. Am I telling you the truth tonight? And don't get so quiet on me. And what's more, there's not one thing that you or I could do about it. Not one thing we could do about it. But the good news is this. Paul just tells us in Colossians that your debt died with Jesus on the cross. Church, that's wonderful news. Look at it. By canceling, he says, the record of debt, the record of chirographone, by canceling that. Now, there's another Greek word. I'm not going to drown you in Greek tonight for this canceling, but it's very, very, very dramatic, canceling out the debt. When you, when you right-click on that word, here's what you find out. It's a dramatic word. It's a, it's a word used to describe erasing an entire book. You'll remember in Revelation chapter 20, verse 11, it says that the books were open, the great white throne judgment, the judgment of the damned. It says, I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it and and earth and sky fled from his presence at the uncreation, if you will, of the universe. And the books were open and the dead were judged according to what they had done and was recorded in the books. How many know you got a record? Jesus also referenced this in Matthew chapter 12 when he said, I tell you the truth, that there will come a day when men will give an account of every idle word they've ever uttered. Shocking. It is your record. 
It is my record. It is your receipt. It's the bill that has to be paid. But when you came to Christ Jesus, when you said yes to the Lord, when you decided to make him the Lord of your life, what happened is this. That big volume, that big book on you, everything about it, the big volume, the book on Dan Smith, it was erased by the cross of Jesus Christ. He took out an eraser. And he erased every single page, and he made it as if it had never been written on before. Hallelujah! And how did he do it? Through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. There was a physical reality to his shed blood, but there was a spiritual reality. It was the washing away of our sins. That's why we sing so often here, what can wash away my sins? And what can make me whole again? And so how did your debt die and my debt die? He took my sins away. He washed it away. He erased it. He made the pages with all of the charges, the miles and miles of charges, our rap sheet, if you will, as white as snow. And our 14th verse says this, he canceled the record of the charges against us and he took it away by nailing it to the cross. One of the spiritual realities is this. On the cross, though you and I couldn't see it, your sins and my sins, the charges against us, they were nailed to the cross. You'll remember when Pilate wrote and placed above the head of Jesus when he was put upon the cross, this is the king of the Jews. And he had it nailed above there. That is the charge. That's what they were, the charge was against him. Here's what would typically happen. The condemned would be marched out to the place of execution and they would have the charge usually strung around the, the neck of the condemned so that everybody could see what they were accused of. And then it was taken off from around their neck once they had had them upon the cross and they nailed it above the head to the cross, above their head so everybody could see this is what they did. This was why they had to die. And you know what? On the cross, here's what we hear from Paul. The charges against you, the charges against me, the charges against all of us were nailed to the cross of Jesus right along with the same charges Pilate had laid upon Jesus Christ. Your charges, my charges, the charges of all mankind were nailed to the cross, but they were erased forever. Let the church say amen. One more thing happened at the cross. At the cross, your enemy's demonic power died with Jesus. Your enemy, the enemy of your soul, has his demonic power died with Jesus. This is so incredible. So the 15th verse of Colossians 2 says this. In this way, he, Jesus, disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities. That's Satan and his horde he shamed them publicly by his victory over them on the cross. Let, let, me, um, let me read this to you from the message. It gives a little more poignant uh, vantage point to it. It says, it says this, that 15th verse says, He stripped all the spiritual tyrants in the universe of their sham authority at the cross, and he marched them naked through the streets. Let me tell you what Paul is picturing here. It's, it's, it's a typical Roman triumph. It's an illustration that honestly he uses quite often in the New Testament. But a Roman triumph 
would look like this. When a general had taken uh, the Roman legions into an area that was hostile to Rome, and he had conquered it, he and his armies had conquered it thoroughly, and you couldn't just win a battle. A battle wasn't enough for a triumph. You had to win the war. So it was a lot of work. But when, when uh, the Roman uh, general had taken his armies into war, and they had triumphed, and they won the war, and the enemy was totally defeated, here's what would happen. Listen to me. Because this is what Paul's referencing when he says this. The legions of the armies would return home with the general marching ahead of them, and the emperor would come to welcome them back into the city. And there would be an enormous parade that would take place, and the legionnaires would come parading through the city, all the army, the victorious uh, soldiers of the army with the general ahead of them, victorious and triumphant. And, and, and the, the, uh, the, the, all of the army, they would lift up the plunder, the silver, the gold, all of the things that they had taken as, as a result of, of defeating their enemy and that they had captured from the land that they had conquered. They would be carrying it, showing it to the citizens. Look what we got. Look, we were victorious. Look at all this. And then behind the general, behind the armies, there was another group of people, and that was at the end of the procession, in chains, naked, would come the generals of the defeated army behind them, and some of their top fighting men, that's what they did. This is who we defeated. And they would be paraded through the streets, following behind the army. And it was Rome's way of saying, remember those people that you heard so much about, who you were so afraid of. Remember all the talk in the city about we better be fearful because this enemy's coming and that enemy's coming and, 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 and they had terrorized you and caused you to be fearful and shrink back. Remember that enemy that you thought was going to invade us? Remember that group of people that you heard about and everybody was saying, oh, I don't know if we can defeat them or not. They're very strong. Remember they're saying, look at them now. They're naked and they are in chains and you don't have one thing to fear from them from this point forward. That's what Paul is saying. That's what he's saying. He says he disarmed was the word that we used. He disarmed. Put the other version up, please. No, that's the message, the one before that. He disarmed the spiritual rulers. The original on that word disarmed is undressed. He undressed them. The spiritual rulers and authorities undressed them. They, they stripped them of their power. He stripped them of their authority. On the cross, Jesus Christ stripped demonic power of its authority. Somebody say hallelujah. On the cross, Jesus rendered Satan ineffective in the life of a believer. He exposed the spiritual exp uh, rulers and, and authorities, they were exposed them. He defeated them so that, that we could see how powerless they really are. They no longer have any power, any hold on us. And he shamed them publicly. And he took the victory that they thought they had won, and he conquered it on the cross of Calvary. That's why you're here tonight on Good Friday. They thought, oh, we've won. That's what they thought. The enemy thought that. And instead, Jesus used his death to destroy their demonic power and expose them as powerless against him and his people. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord. So why do we call it Good Friday? Because at the cross, your spiritual death died. 
your separation from God ended. To as many as received him, to those who believed in him, he gave the right to be called the children of God, no longer distanced, no longer separated from God, but now a son or a daughter of the king. Why do we call it Good Friday? Because at the cross, your debt died. Your sin debt, your record, that receipt, that long receipt of life of sin, it died. It was nailed to the cross, and the record was expunged by the blood of Jesus so that every page of your life's history that had all of these things on it that you had done, it's totally gone. It's totally erased. And that's why there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Because it's been erased. It's been expunged. It's gone. There is no more record of your sin. So why are you thinking about it? It's not there. God has forgotten it. He has removed it as far as the east is from the west. He has erased it. It's gone. So why do we call this Good Friday? Because at the cross, your enemy's demonic power died with Christ. He was stripped. He was disarmed. He was shown to be powerless. That's why in 1 John chapter 5 says this, and the evil one cannot touch him. Paul's just sort of, we see this, Paul's words underscored in the book of 1 John and the evil one cannot touch him. John here is talking about, he's giving a list of the things we know, and we know this, and, and we know that. We know that God hears us, he says, in that fifth chapter of 1 John. We, we know that he answers prayer, and he lists it. He says, and we know that the evil one cannot touch us. And all of that goes back not to any ability within you or me, the choir sang it at the opening, in the opening glorious choral anthem. Forbid it, Lord, that I should boast, save in the death of Christ, my Lord. It doesn't come back to us at all. No ability within you, no ability within me. We were helpless and hopeless, but it goes back to his accomplishments upon the cross. That's why this is Good Friday. The Son of God came to give himself as a sacrifice that death might die that debt might be canceled, and that demonic power might be broken. Can the church say amen?